Hello, you've tuned in to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. My name is Becky Odd Jennison, and I'm your host. Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved one's. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full-spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. I'm so pleased that you're with us today to hear this conversation with Chantel Riley. Chantel is a registered nurse, an end-of-life doula, a registered yoga teacher, and she has practiced as a nurse by profession and has always had a passion for reducing the stigma surrounding end-of-life or that challenging term, death, and advocating for and supporting an individual's right to have quality of life until the very end. Chantel also assists individuals through the grief process after experiencing a loss. She offers yoga for grief and other modalities. She found yoga to be personally beneficial on her own healing journey after the loss of her oldest son, Jamantis Riley Sr., Born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mother of three sons, bereaved mother, grandmother, registered nurse, end-of-life doula, holistic wellness practitioner, registered yoga teacher, herbalist, and advocate for mental health and death awareness. Chantel is the facilitator of Death Cafe, MKE, where participants come together and talk about death. She's also the owner of Dignity with Departure, that Others offers preparation and support for individuals for death and grief. She's also the owner of Blue Lotus Life, which offers holistic services and products to restore balance and harmony for the well-being of individuals. Chantel received her associate degree in nursing from Milwaukee Area Technical College in 2007 and obtained her bachelor's of science in 2016. You can connect with her in the details that you'll find in our program notes. And I know that you're going to get as much out of this episode as I did when you listen to Chantel opening her heart about her own journey of death with her dear son and how that spawned this interest in her to do death better. Thanks so much, Chantel, for being here, and thank you all for listening. Hello, Chantel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Yeah, I'm so happy that you um, decided to come on the episode and if you wouldn't mind just telling people where you're at in the world and just giving us some background about how death has affected your life. And then we can go into the transformation and the work you're doing, if that's okay with you. That is perfectly fine. So I would say for me, like my first, like real true, where I feel like I have an understanding about death really happened in 2009. Um, I lost my mother. She was a heart transplant patient and we had, we had her for a couple years after she received her heart transplant in 99. And so we um, kind of thought like at some point in time, maybe her heart might fail 
And this is, you know, would be the reason why something would happen. But we didn't expect that she would have a stroke. And so I was at work one day and I got a phone call that she went unresponsive in like less than 24 hours from that event. Literally, we were being asked what to do because she wasn't going to be able to make it. So from there, um, that was kind of like trying to figure out how to navigate life and do things different because she was a really big support person for me. And then the next experience that I had with death was in March um, of 20, uh, 2016. And that is when I lost my oldest son. And he was he was murdered. Um, it was a really unfortunate situation. I mean, all of them are unfortunate for that matter. But this one was because he was going with a friend to support them um, because it was a domestic violence um, situation between their his friend's parents. So he was going um, to be like a support person and didn't think for a moment that he would be the one who lost his life out of the three of them that were there. And so then a year after that, um, pretty much like a week and a year after that, my grandmother, she died and she was at that beautiful age of 90. So for that, it was it was really interesting because to me, I experienced death in three different forms, three different ways. And I thought it was really um, interesting to see that because it was like, there were two incidents where I had like life ended abruptly. We didn't have it planned. And then there was the incident of like a life cycle where I referred to as a life cycle being completed, you know, and those experiences were very different for me. So the one that was in the middle with the loss of my son was the one that actually kind of took me down to my core because I did not, that wasn't something I never would have ever dreamed that would have happened. And how do you actually experience or come back from life after that? Even though I had two surviving children and he had a son that was at the time, he was 17 months when he died. Mm. And so that was for me, like I said, I learned kind of after my grandmother died that death can be very tragic and it could also be very beautiful. And, you know, there there's two different ways that this can actually kind of happen. So, um, yeah, that those for me, those are my experiences with that. Oh, I'm so, so, so very sorry. Thank um, you. What a tragic, tragic, you know, the, the going to help someone and then you being the victim of that crime. Yes. It says so much, yes. and oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's no words. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. And during, so that was 2016. Yes. Where, where within this trajectory did you begin with your thoughts about death work, and how was that born? Yes, 2017 actually was where it started to evolve because. Through that experience, when me and him, me and my son, his name was Javante Sr., we were having a conversation one day driving down the street and I was like, you should probably get life insurance, you know, because, you know, one day something might happen, you know, when you're older and it would just be nice to kind of leave something behind for your son. And he was in agreement with that. But we didn't know that roughly two weeks later that he would be dead and we didn't get a chance to follow up with that process. And so we had to figure out, you know, how to bury him because I didn't have the financial resources to be able to do so. And so there were a lot of people within my community, my employer that all kind of like rallied together, friends and family who really came together to be able to allow that to happen. And like I learned about different community resources because of what happened. So it was very um it was something that I just knew from that point that no other person should have to go through, um, going through that emotional state and then trying to handle business on, on that side. And so after my grandmother died, I was um, I started doing like community education about like the value of life insurance and, and directives. 
because with my um my my mother, she didn't have advanced directives, but she was very open and transparent about what she wanted related to death. And so when they asked us, what do we want to do for her? It was a very clear choice because of the fact that she said it all the time. She's like, don't do all that extra stuff. But it wasn't until I was in nursing school that I didn't understand what the extra stuff meant. And that was more of the extreme measure. So like, you know, being on machines and things like that to help you still live. So, you know, breathing tubes and things to kind of help your heartbeat. So she didn't want any of that. So it was an easy choice to make. So even though she didn't have advanced directives in place, her plans were very clear and she expressed them. So started to do like community education on the value of life insurance because we need it, you know, if to to use a GoFundMe um, to pay for burial expenses. I never knew what a GoFundMe was until they literally um, his my son's friends created a GoFundMe to help with burial expenses. And I, like I said, I would not have thought of that at all. And so it was like, you know, no one should have to have the experience this. So I really thought like, we need to start talking about it. We, we need to have real conversations about these things because when we die, someone's left to have to deal with this. And typically at that point, they're not in an emotional space to truly deal with these things. And so from there, as I'm telling my friends, like I would really love to work with people like, you know, one-on-one to talk to them and make sure they have their things in order. And so they started sending me this video. And then another friend sent me a video. And so by the time a third friend sent the video, I was like, let me check out this video. Cause I'm like, I don't know what, because it was all the same video. I just never watched it. And so I finally oh opened up this video and I look and I'm like, it was this lady, her name was Alua Arthur, and she's like, she's a death doula. And I'm like, okay. And what really connected with me is when she was sitting at the table with a family. It was the mother who had cancer and she had two adult children. And then it was a grandchild just playing all carefree in the background, but she was expressing her concerns, her desires, and allowing them, her adult children, to hear her say these things and looking at Alua being the kind of like the facilitator of that dialogue and not necessarily, you know, telling her what she wanted. She was, she was able to express that openly and not having that feeling. Sometimes people feel like that guilt or they don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable or fearful of how people respond to it. She was amazing. And, and I was like, wow, you know, like a deaf dude, I was like, I want to do that. I really want to do that. And then I stopped and I'm like, is that a real thing or did she really just make that up? You know, like, what is this? <laughs> so I decided to go into that, you know, research mode and I'm looking online and I'm like, wow, there is a real thing called a death doula. So I I kind of got excited, looked at a couple different programs, which I didn't know were available and decided I wanted to choose one and receive training. And you have a history of being a nurse. Yes. On top of this, how long were you a nurse for? I was a nurse for, let me see, over two years. And I've been a nurse for, I'll be a nurse 14 years. So like 12 years. So are these complimentary for you? They are. Cause, and I guess to dig back a little bit deeper, go back a little bit further. When I was in nursing school, my, one of my opportunities for a clinical was like a preceptor program where it was at a place called Ruth Hospice. And I, I wanted the challenge of being able to take a clinical and not have a clinical instructor like following me around. So I wanted a little bit of freedom. And so I was like, I would definitely apply for this. And I got it. And there was something that really, truly resonated in which I bring into the work that I do now is that these are people, you know, they have a whole life. They've had a whole life, you know, and they're not just the diagnosis. They're not just, you know, knowing that they're dying. They're living. They're still living. They're living until they die. And like meeting people in different like phases of where they are in that process was just like an amazing thing. I remember walking into a room with a lady um, who I can't remember fully her diagnosis, but she was more in stage and there were pictures in her room 
and the pictures of like amazing things that she did was like, this is not a person that's dying here. This is a person that lived, you know, it's like, it's an amazing thing to see like the life that was there before this happened. So that kind of like laid a little bit of a foundation that I never thought that I would have to pull that up until I started to move into this space. So um, being in the hospital, being, I also did long-term care, you know, and working with um, people who are, you know, dying, you know, or death, you know, happens and it wasn't planned. So they, they do compliment each other. um, Definitely. So are you still nursing? Or are I you know. just doing yeah. the death doula yeah. like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit more about how that practice, What? where did you, did you get official training and um, that kind of part of your story? Yes. So I did actually get official training. So like I said, I was, when I found out that it was actually a real thing, you know, I'm looking at online, looking at different programs and what was available and how would I go about doing this? Um, There was one program that actually stuck out to me and I ended up choosing that program and it was through um, an organization. It was Lifespan Doula Association. And what I loved about them, one, that it was in person, um, it was rooted in their program. So it wasn't like they were taking it and traveling, you know, like throughout the states and, you know, setting up and and providing it there. But it was rooted in their program because they they did birth and then they were also doing death. And oh, wow. Yeah. So I, you know, so here they are training birthing doulas and they're also training death doulas. But what they encompassed about it was they had what they called a doula care model. And the doula care model is really looking at the whole person. And then not just looking at the whole person as an individual, but everybody on their support team is part of that person. So like everyone plays a part. Everyone has something connected to this person. And I was really in love with how that approach was. And that was something I definitely wanted to consider to, you know, put in place in a practice because I do believe that people, you know, we are whole people, you know, we have mind, body, spirit. We, you know, we're emotional people. We have mental capacities. We have physical capacities and all these things are connected together. So to look at how all of those things connected to who we are, how do we make your quality of life? basically important for you, not someone else's experience or anything like that. Like I only see you when we are meeting and we are talking, we're talking about your concerns. We're talking about your feelings. You're talking about your thoughts, you know, and then we can, we can include everybody else in that, but let's get to you first because sometimes our thoughts and our feelings get suppressed because of the fact that we're looking at the people that are supporting us. We're looking at the people around us, the people that we care about. So to be able to get to you first will help us be able to navigate what this is going to look like for you. So Mm -hmm. they were in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. (laughs) So me, my grandson and, um, my youngest son, we took a road trip and we rode to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I did this three day intensive training. And I, you know, I didn't really understand what intensive truly meant um, (laughs) until I did this training. And I thought it was, it was interesting, but another caveat that they had that there was a requirement that you had to wait a year before like a significant death um, actually occurred. So I had to, yeah, I waited that year. And so I, um, so I thought that was important, but I really kind of, you know, in a sense, didn't really fully understand it until I showed up and we did this training. So it's eight plus hours a day, you know, like, you know, we get to go get lunch and stuff like that. We have debriefing moments. And the beautiful thing was what they started to do was start to allow us to connect and unravel our personal feelings about death. So before we actually really tried to like dive in deep and like really get into this, it was like, you have to kind of like know your, have your awareness of your relationship with death because 
your relationship is not going to be everyone's relationship and you have to acknowledge that. So I'm not here to impose my personals or anything like that on you because this is your experience. So I love that they did that. You know, like we did different exercises and activities and like we had one activity where it was like showing how we as we go through that process of how we lose control and we don't have control over things and how things happen. And it was such an eye opening experience where, you know, like, I don't think there was a dry eye left in the room because of the fact that it was like, you don't know what it feels like to not have control until you don't have control. So it was just really, truly um, a beautiful process. And I was like totally amazed by the diversity of the group of people that were there. It was 25 of us in the, in the group. There were nurses, there were lawyers, there were people who already worked in hospice, there were speech therapists, physical therapists, massage therapists, you know, people who worked in retail but really knew that they had this connection with death. It was an amazing group of people and we connected, you know, like I still have relationships with like like a group of people that we did this training with together, um, even after we finished and because a lot of it, we kind of had to decompress after we were done because it was... I was like, so if someone says it's intensive training, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this, mm. it's going to require a lot um, from you. And it's, it's, it's deep. It's very deep. Like, you know, but it was the most amazing experience and they gave me tools, um, definitely tools to be able to support and navigate, you know, this experience with people. You know, what comes up for me as you're describing this is as someone who worked as a nurse before uh, many, 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 many moons ago, but and interfacing with um, clinical settings and doctors, it was kind of one of my battle cries is people getting in touch with their own mortality mm-hmm. and when they work in the medical field, because there's so much of the rah-rah to keep somebody alive at all costs because... Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. that keeping them alive is a win and death is a fail. But I think the root of it is what needs to happen is what you're describing that bit of the training mm-hmm. of in nursing school and in medical school of, of getting the people in touch with their own death. Yes. Eh? yes. Wouldn't that make a difference? It's in a the big way difference. It's a big difference. I, um, one my one of my clients that I had um, because of the fact that I really I feel like we have a war mentality, you know, against death and dying, like mm-hmm. especially when we look at like cancer, you know, that is like the biggest war mentality that we have centered around that. And it is troubling to me. It's very troubling because of the fact that when we have a war mentality, that means that someone's going to be, you know, we're going to have a winner. We're going to have a loser. You know, someone's going to be defeated. And to have that type of thought process really doesn't give a lot of ability for a person to really, truly feel how they want to feel. Because if they feel anything other than beating and fighting, it's the perception is like you're a failure. You know, and it's like, but it's not. You're not failing. You're not defeating. And so I had a client and when I met the client, they were kind of wrestling whether they wanted to do another round or if they wanted to just, you know, not complete another round. And I kind of shared what I just shared with you about the fight mentality and the war. And that's like, how do you feel if you go to war with an opponent that nobody's prepared for because they fully don't know? And the expectation is for you to fight and win. How do you feel about that? You know, and so think about the fact that. And you're a failure if you lose. That's that, that, like you say, the implicit message there, isn't it? Yes. And then they really said that the reason why they struggled with making that decision was because they didn't want people to think that they did not fight, that they gave up. And it's like, no, you did not. I'm going to, how about this? If, what about if you choose to make a choice to live your life to the fullest until you cannot live it anymore? That's an option. 
And so that was the option that they chose. And, you know, sometimes being able to give someone the okay to not feel like I have to do this because the expectation of everybody else around me, you know, I said, well, do you feel like your provider would be supportive if you put a line in the sand and said, I will be willing to go this far, but if it starts to look like this, would you support me if I decided to stop? And I said, these are like actual questions that you are allowed to ask because this is about you. And so, and I feel like that gets missed a lot because like, as you mentioned, it's the whole, you know, medical is taught to save. It's not taught to kill. It's not taught to let someone die. And if I lose a patient, I, I failed them. You know, like I gotta, we gotta be successful by all means, you know, and meaning not giving them the option to choose their quality of life. So yeah. it, it does need to be, a, there has to be more of letting them understand that a person choosing to live life in an over quality of life than over, than beating something or fixing something is way more important than or that giving up. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's like, but is it giving up? Is it, or is it choosing to live a quality of life until you can't live right. anymore? It's not giving up. It's them taking control and them making a decision what they feel is best for them. You know, like you're pushing your, your, your feelings onto someone and making them feel bad for wanting to do something different. And it gets back to their own issues about death, usually, yes. right? Their own their own issues surrounding mortality, and and again, that that death isn't something that you see as a normal part of life, something that you can surrender to. I I think Chantel, this is so important, and I'm really happy to hear that you're waving a flag high about it because the power of language is part of what this is about, right? Just simply choosing the words and not, you know, that there's a whole stream of that battle language out there. People are just on that bandwagon big time. You'll even see it in obituaries. Yes. 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 And it's horrible. I'm sorry, but to me, I'm not sorry. I, I, I really think that the culture that we're creating around this is not healthy. Yeah. Because and, and you know, pe- for people listening to this that have been in that paradigm themselves, this isn't to blame you at all because we're all just a product of our culture in Absolutely. so many ways, right? Absolutely. In so many ways that Absolutely. we get programmed to think certain ways. Absolutely. And because of the group think or because of someone we respect mm-hmm. that we hear use that language because we're not death literate, right. we're not no. being taught ways to have constructive conversations surrounding Absolutely. death. This Absolutely. is so important. Absolutely, yeah. and it is just like we we're we're fearful, and I, I do I refer to it as being social conditioning um, because that's kind of that's what it is to me. We are being conditioned yeah. to believe that you know if we're presented death well. First of all, I feel like we are socially conditioned to believe that death is a total separate event from life. And so to not allow this to be connected with the life process is just such a big disservice because of the fact that we, when something's disconnected, to be able to make a connection is challenging because they don't, people don't believe that it exists. Together, it cannot coexist. Life and death cannot coexist. There's two separate things. It, it, that's how it works. This is over here and this is over here. And it's just like, well, no, actually, death is a part of life. It really is. We're born and we'll die. Those We can't separate that. There's no socioeconomic status. There's no gender. There's no sex. You know, there's there's no political parties. There's nothing that can separate you from that. We are all going to experience it. We should actually be talking about it, like to avoid or separate that and backdoor closet death as if no one's going to experience it 
who allows us to be very ill-prepared to deal with it when it happens and how to approach it. Death avoidant culture. Who some, even to the magical thinking that people have, you know, if I don't think about it, it won't happen. Or if I do think about it, I'll make it happen. That kind of magical thinking that people, superstition, people get around death is is very troubling. So my reframing question when I challenge that is like, okay, so how many times have you thought about being rich or getting a million dollars and it hasn't happened? Mm-hmm. So is it likely that you thought about death and still at this point, it hasn't happened. But the thing is, it is going to happen. When is the, the thing that we really rarely ever know? But ultimately, it will happen. One day it will. So if we consider that now part of our known versus the unknown, what will you do knowing that there is a timeline in the middle somewhere? You can have a long timeline. You can have a short timeline. We don't really know what that looks like. But what would you do? Because I'm like, if you knew you had an expiration date, I said, what do you do with milk? You know, like we try to consume as much as we can before that expiration date and before that, um, then we might throw it out. Sometimes, sometimes we'll push it a little, you know, a day or so past and, you know, and make it work. But ultimately, you know, if there's a time ending on something, you're going to try to get as much out of it as you possibly can before that time is up. Why is life any different? So I'm just having the question arise with your son's untimely death. Mm -hmm. How, how does this work? You know, I mean, that, that's one of the confusing confusions when you think of death doula, right? It's Mm -hmm. usually with preparation for people that are given a terminal diagnosis, but you also have people obviously all the time and from illnesses or from um, violent acts or from accidents Mm -hmm. dying suddenly. And do you feel that the death doula has a role in those deaths as well? Yeah. Tell us about that a bit. Even like for me and when I first started, I, there was something I didn't even think about um, and it was grief support. Um, The first time someone reached out to me um, was because a person had already sustained a loss and they were being what people felt was challenged um, as far as, and I'm air quoting, getting over the loss. Um, Yeah. Because we never get over it. You never get over it. Um, How you start to integrate your life from the incident that happens is what happens, but you don't ever really get over it. So, um, I, yeah, I met with this, you know, I met with this person and, you know, I started offering support. I started connecting them with resources. Um, then the next thing, you know, I'm getting reached out to because of a perinatal loss, an infant loss. I'm offering support. I'm offering resources. I'm offering grief support um, to people who have experienced um, loss of a family member to violence um, connected because I understand that. And there's a whole separate realm that happens when you lose someone through violence because there's, there's this gap in your story um, from when the last time you saw them to the next time you end up seeing them. And it takes a little while for you to start to make the connection of what has really happened. And then there's, you know, the criminal justice system that you get involved with, because if you're going to trial and things like that, there's a whole separate life and events that happen versus if someone had a life limiting diagnosis and then they died from the complications of that. So it looks different for different people versus a person who had an infant loss, you know, a perinatal loss or an abortion, it looks different for everyone. So the deaf doula's role on that end of that spectrum is offering support, is offering 
the ability for you to not feel guilt, to not feel shame, to not feel judgment for the situation that has taken place. Being able to be there in a space and holding space for a person when sometimes I do end up having a connection with people because of, you know, I share a little bit of the story just for relational purposes, but it's not here to transpose that on you. So it allows you to at least let me in enough, you know, for you to allow yourself to be vulnerable with me and share the feelings that you have and figuring out what resources can I align you with. So there are definitely spaces for death doulas if after a death has occurred and not just for transition or preparation. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, I'm a real, I hold a flag up very high about helpers with grief, having been grievers of some sort, you know, Mm -hmm. and this idea of people that have died by violence Mm -hmm. is one of those areas. I'm sure there's the, that you connecting because you've been through something like that is totally different than somebody who can't fathom that level of loss. And you probably don't even need to tell people, they probably can sense it with your connection, you know, just (laughs) that, wow, this person really gets me. Do, Do you find that people are seeking services more for this? I mean, you know, it's pretty alternative, right? It is definitely. Yeah. So I guess I ended up, I end up connecting with people who are aware of my services and then they connect me with people. Um, I just made a connection through, I attend a grief support group for people who have lost um, loved ones from violence and like I said, and that's kind of how I got the opportunity to connect with other, you know, people who have lost and offer grief support from that perspective and um, meeting people who are working in like the birthing community to be able to connect with people who are experiencing, you know, miscarriages, you know, perinatal loss or infant loss. So that is, it's starting to slowly build momentum because I've been, I've been in this space for almost three years now and Really, truly, last year is when it really started to slowly build momentum. And a lot of it has to do with the challenge of people not um, comfortable talking about death and and bringing that. So in that light, I decided to host a death cafe. (laughs) So then you can just come objectively and you can talk about all things death related, including life. And it's very interesting how the dynamics of those conversations kind of, you know, how they go. It's nice when people return back and they start to talk about things that they have shared with family members just from attending a death cafe. So it all has a purpose and how you meet people is really important. And I refer to myself (laughs) as an end of life doula. Sure. As an end of life doula. And not as a death doula. And I use the term end of life doula because of the fact that it is a lot more wording is everything. So yeah. will people really run to go look for a death doula? Not everybody. Some people are, are a little more, you know, in a different space where they are okay with that terminology. I choose to use end of life doula because it is more gentle. Yeah. It's, you know, um, I can hold your hand and bring you into this space because, because when we hear death, we typically think of finalization, we think of end, you know, like it's all the negative connotations related to death versus end of life, you know, end of life doesn't, in, in your mindset, you're like, well, it doesn't mean death. It just means that you're coming to your end of life, you know, yeah. so I decided to use that terminology to be able to connect with people in a different space when, you know. And even if they're death averse, possibly they won't run in right. the name of it. Yeah. Yes. So just, you know, being able to find a way to come into spaces. So which results in things like a lot of like community education, you know, a, a, a lot of like community education and just like putting it out there, you know, and you feel like the people who are going to find it are going to find it. 
But, you know, the challenge about it is that everybody needs it, you know? So that's where it becomes like, you know, so then we just put it out there and we put it into, you know, we put it into spaces and with the intention that, you know, somebody can pick it up and be able to spread it, you know, forward and just being okay. Cause like we have to, we, we have to really, we're in a space where I feel like it's a lot more people are seeing us out there, but still not really knowing how to find us out there and knowing where yeah. to start. So this actually for me is like, I met with a hospice and a home care agency just recently. And I'm like, you know, because I'm not a person against, you know, I'm here to support people and help them transition and letting them know the significance of them coming into hospice, you know, sooner than later. It's not a death sentence. It's not where you go to die. It's a place that supports you living. So in mm-hmm. and, and being able to reframe a lot of these things and pulling out these stigmas that we have for a lot of things. So I really, truly, I'm learning to make these connections, start to get into some primary care providers places, starting to get into some oncology places and letting them know we're out here and we are here to serve, you know, like really, truly. I love that. I've never spoken with a death worker yet who doesn't have a bit of activism or a lot of activism, right? Yes. Through their veins. And it's not about choose me. You know, there's just not that energy behind it. of, And I'm the best choice. You know, it's that energy of, you know, you'll be led to the right place. We just need you to know these services are available. And like you say, the whole the work now really is the reframing. And that's a lot of what this project's about, too, is just let's talk about death. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am so impressed with how you have channeled your life experiences into helping others. Um, I know. Well, I shouldn't say I know. I'm going to ask you. How does your grief show up for you when you're working in that space? Are there times that um, it becomes more alive? Because it's really not that long. I mean, and I know that all of these deaths were very impactful, but mm-hmm. what we're only going on five years, yes. right? Or was it just five years, right? It just, yep, on the second. Yep, and, and I can understand the triggers and um things that might come up how how does this work hold you with that so I I do allow myself you know like opportunities to debrief after you know I meet with people and I talk to people I do allow like I said to create relational connections with people and just like sharing bits and pieces you know like I I fell apart you know or I felt numb And to be able to share those experiences with people, like I said, it allows them to be human and allow them to know that, you know, this is grief is a very real thing. Um, I understand for me, you know, I I still attend therapy. I will always probably attend therapy because it's not just about that loss. It's really just learning how to navigate life and being supported by someone navigating life. But to when there's like some of the things when it kind of personally, you know, where you feel like it personally hits home, you know, I allow myself to feel, you know, what I experience and kind of making that awareness of where I am with something or where I'm feeling with things and finding a way to channel, you know, like I'm channeling that because it's like someone is grieving, someone is hurting, you know, Someone is not knowing how to sometimes express how they're feeling or feeling like they don't have a safe space to express how they really feel. And they feel like they have to create this strong front for people and they can't really be in the moment of where they are right now. And that because I experienced that and it and just knowing that here, I want to come to you. I want to allow you to feel and be a human in this experience. And I take it there. 
I can imagine that people in the throes of a sudden death at all and, you know, sudden violent death, add that layer to it, that even see you know your story or hear your story and see you walking on two feet, you know, you're standing and and you're in this place of helping others. You know, the one thing I hear repeatedly over and over and over again is after a deep loss is I just wanted to connect and hear from someone who'd had a similar experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that just your presence would be a testimony to the fact that life may be able to go on when someone's thinking their life may have ended, you know? And it is very challenging because I, I, like I said, I attend a grief support group and I really wasn't big on groups or anything like that, but I knew that I needed relational support for this because I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And I don't really know what to do with this. And coming into a space, I remember the first time I sat down with it was two other women. They happened to be moms. They also happened to have lost sons. We were all sitting in around the same age group. Um, and I sat there. And for the first time through all of this is that I didn't feel like I was alone. And so going back to the space, you know, every time we connect, you know, it's like I go to that space every time we were able to, to just know that. I don't feel like I'm alone, you know, because once I leave out of this space, I am back alone again. You know, even though grief is different for everyone, we understand. Um, But yet we still don't really talk about that a whole lot sometimes either that, you know, even though like we had family connections, you know, the way that I would grieve, what could be different the way the other parent would grieve and to sit here in a space with all of these mothers And when you see someone come into the group, you know, you're so heartbroken because you know why they're here. But yet, you know, very, very grateful that they took that step that day to walk through that door because we know how hard it was for them to do that. So and knowing that they were going to be supported, they were going to be loved on through their whole process if they are open and allowing us to. So, yeah. So to this day, you know, and so that feeling is the feeling that I, I desire to carry forward when I meet with people who have sustained that particular type of loss. And even, like I said, to get people connected to something, to let them know they are not alone. They are not, you know, this is your personal experience. There are some people who have experienced something similar that you could probably connect with and they resonate with you on a totally different level. So, yes. It's important. And speaking of connection, one of my questions I like to not forget to ask is, do you have any sense of connection with your loved ones in the beyond? I do. Like, I'm a really big canary person, Um, (laughs) the cardinal person. And like, they, they, I feel like they live in our backyard. Um, I feel I have conversations, you know, especially like I'm sometimes looking for guidance to help raise my grandson. So I'm like, okay, like, okay. I remember you showed us what you wanted us to do. You know, um, like we want to make sure that we're doing the best by him. You know, like my, my mother and my grandmother are both like, they have planted seeds inside of me that will constantly be like, grown and nourished, you know, because of the things that they have shown me in life and even in death. Um, I've actually met people who have connected with them and shared messages, which I do believe in that. Um, I just feel like right now I have like, like, you know, a lot of different thoughts about a lot of different things like in my head to not have the clear channel to be able to connect, but Mm, having connections with people who can is just, it's an, it's an amazing thing. And I love when I meet people who have that ability to be able to share, because it's funny because every time I do meet with someone, they, the, the most common thing that I have heard is like, they have been waiting, like to get in contact with you. And I'm like, Aww. I know, <laughs> I'm quite sure. But they know like Chantel has a lot of things in her head and she can just not like get that clear, clear 
clear space to be able to free that up so we can make that direct, direct connection. So in the meantime, they allow, you know, the creator allows people to come into my life so they can still be able to make that connection with me. Beautiful. Oh, Chantel, this has been a delightful conversation, even though it is surrounding Dove. Yeah. Um, but that is life. That is part of life. It is and part I, of life. I so support your view and your work. And, and again, that reframing, reframing, reframing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. let our listeners know how they can find you and any last words of wisdom or insight you'd like to impart. Yes. So we'll work backwards. So like words of wisdom and insight is that one, the biggest thing is to make every moment matter. You know, like we have a lot of moments. Life is nothing but a series of moments and we can make those moments meaningful and make them worth something because we don't know, you know, death is a very real thing, but yet we don't know in which we will come in and, and have to make that connection when our life journey has come to an end. So if we have life to live now, live it. Like don't wait until, you know, these these milestone places in our life. You know, do something amazing today. Make a connection today. Make a moment meaningful today. And if you want to find me, I am floating on Instagram. <laughs> I am floating on Facebook. Um, I do have a website and all of those are connected through Dignity with Departure. Website is .com and Instagram and Facebook are Dignity with Departure. Um, You will definitely find I share a lot of information. Um, I also host a Death Cafe Milwaukee Facebook page where we take a look at not just always the, the solemn you know, heavy side of death, we find um, a little bit of humor in it too. And so to lighten it up a little bit and we, you can, yeah, definitely go to the websites, um, go to the Instagram or Facebook and you will be able to find me and connect with me there. Um, my email address is dignitywithdeparture at gmail.com. So anywhere you can message me wherever you would like and feel comfortable doing with questions and thoughts and feelings. I am definitely open to any of it because it's necessary. Beautiful. (laughs) We will put your um, links on the program notes as well. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chantel, for being with us today. I appreciate it so much. And you take good care. Gratitude. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.